Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. chapter 4 verses 1 through 7 when I was here two weeks ago by the way thanks to Gracie for delivering an awesome word last Sunday wasn't that great so good so good um, two weeks ago I did this I shared with you the second part of a message that I titled faith and expectation and I spoke to you out of this passage in 2nd Kings chapter 4 Um, about Elisha and the widow's oil. And I I want to come back to that and piggyback off of it today and take, take us in a little different direction as we prepare ourselves for Easter. The title of my message today is Compelled to Compel. Compelled to Compel. And if you remember how this story goes you remember that Elisha was traveling and came upon the home of a widow who had two sons and she she was challenged because she said that the creditors were going to come and she was very concerned that the creditors were going to take her son from her her sons from her and Elisha tells her and explains to her that God would do a miracle for her and he tells her to go out and gather jars from all of her neighbors to bring them back and that as she does that pour oil in the jars and God would perform a miracle you remember how the story went I want to zero in on a couple verses today from this passage and and like I said kind of take us in a little bit of different direction from the last time we looked at this passage Verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 4 says this. It says, Then he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Empty vessels. Very important. Empty vessels. And do not gather just a few. And when you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and then pour into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Gather all the vessels that you possibly can. Bring them into the house. Close the door behind you. You and your sons pour into each one of these jars of oil. And you know how the story goes. They began to pour the oil in. God did. God worked miraculously on their behalf. And as soon as they got to the last jar, the oil stopped flowing. And that was the, the emphasis of the last time we looked at this scripture. We looked at the oil. But I want to look a little bit differently today. Jars. Let's pray before we receive the word today. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you for your wisdom to be poured out. Pour your wisdom out onto our into our hearts. That as we read these these scriptures, as we ponder these words, Lord, that you would speak to us. For the Bible says that the entrance of your word gives light. So give light today, Lord. 
Won't you give light into the dark places of our hearts and minds? Father, where there's, where there's confusion, would you bring clarity? Where there's profound need, would you bring the resource that only heaven can provide? Where there's questions, would you bring answers? We know, God, that your word has the capacity to meet and exceed every need of the human heart. We know that there's not a thing in our lives that your word cannot fix, cannot heal, cannot set in order. So, Father, as we prepare our hearts for your word today, won't you speak to us? Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts today. And we'll be careful to give you the praise for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. Um, as we get into this passage some more, we want to make our confession of faith that we enjoy to make. If this is your first time with us today or if this is your first time watching online, uh, we make this declaration and can confess these words together each time we get into the Word of God. So would you go ahead and declare these out loud. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your Word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Don't you believe you're growing in the things of God today? Amen. I do. I believe we're all growing together. Amen. I'm still getting used to these chairs. I'm just going to be honest with you. But I like them. I like them a lot. So as I said uh, in, in my last message on this passage, I made the point that it was the widow's level of expectation that dictated the length of time that the oil flowed. It was she who determined by her expectation the boundaries of the miracle that God gave her. We focused in the last time looking at this passage on the miracle, which is to say that we focused on the oil. But today I want to shift from that and take a moment to focus on the jars. And then I want to connect that to a parable that Jesus tells in the book of Luke when we get to Luke, you'll understand why the title of the message today is Compelled to Compel. We know that in this scripture, actually not in just this scripture, but in scripture in general, that oil is symbolic. It's symbolic of the anointing of God. And oil represents the activity of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. We were talking about this, Dan, weren't we? Just during our pre-service prayer time down below. Oil was used throughout the ancient world to anoint kings and priests. Oil was used to ordain and commission people and things into roles and activity of service. Oil was a, was, was a, a, symbol, a, a symbolic thing that was used to consecrate into service, whether it was consecrating a person, whether it was consecrating a priest, whether it was consecrating an item, Oftentimes, oil was used symbolizing the work of the Holy Spirit. From the ancient world to the present day, oil is what seems to make the world go round. Oil was used to anoint when people were needing healing. It was used to salve people's wounds. In fact, James chapter 5 
says that when you, when, when, when you, is there any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and they'll anoint him with oil and lay hands on him and the prayer of faith will save the sick. And God will raise him up. Oil is incredibly healing. And if the oil in this scripture is indicative of the anointing of God and of the power of the Holy Spirit, then what do the empty jars in the story represent? We focused on the miracle last time. We focused on the oil. Today I want to focus on the jars. Can we do that? What do the empty jars in this story represent? I believe they represent empty people. Amen. They represent empty people. They represent those who are out in this world whose lives are empty because of the effects of sin. Have you ever met somebody whose life is empty because of the effects of sin? Let me rephrase that question. Have you ever been somebody whose life was empty because of the effects of sin? Yes and yes and yes to all of us. Not one of us was born righteous. Right? See, when, when we talk about these empty jars, I believe what the scripture is alluding to or a symbol that we see in these empty jars is, is, is who Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2 when he says we were all dead in trespasses and sins. Every one of us was born without Christ, without God in our lives. We were born into sin. And praise God that God in his mercy and in his grace sent his son Jesus to die and be our eternal sacrifice. He offered himself up as both priest and sacrifice on the cross so that we could be redeemed. Because we were empty vessels and God decided to pour his oil into empty vessels. The woman and her sons in this story, I believe, represent the church of Jesus Christ. The oil represents the anointing of God and the activity of the Holy Spirit. And the jars represent those in the world who are dead in sin. And if that's true, this story took a new turn. Because for the longest time when I've read this story, I've always thought about the woman's expectation and her faith and how that was, you know, the thing that created the miracle and God, God set her up and propped her up to be able to get out of debt and go into the community and be a blessing to the community. And, and, and I've always made it just about her faith and her expectation. And I was talking to my pastor not too long ago, and he said, yeah, and isn't it cool that those jars represent the people that aren't saved? And I was like, Huh? I said, Pastor, I have never once thought of it that way. You know, you need to have a pastor. Amen. Everybody needs a pastor. Me too. Thankfully, all of us have one. Praise God. But he said that to me, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that makes so much sense. He goes, yeah, there's your third message in the series. I said, thank you. Appreciate that. That's awesome. <laughs> it couldn't possibly better set us up for next week being Easter than to remind ourselves today 
of the reality that we are surrounded in our lives every single day by empty vessels into whom God really desires to pour his anointing and his spirit and his love and his power and his grace. God desires to pour himself into every single person you have ever met and ever will meet. And so our perspective on the people around us has to be has to come in line with the potency of what we read in this passage. Let's look at verse 4. It says when you have come in you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. That's intense. Read it one more time. When you've come in, you'll shut the door behind you, you and your sons, and watch this. Pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Again, the, the oil representing the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the anointing of God, the richness of who God is that we get to experience on a day, daily basis, if we're willing can I submit to your thinking this morning that what we do as a church has more to do with just what we need as individuals? That it's actually about you and I getting really good at pouring the oil into empty vessels? Glory to God. When we gather together on Sundays, when we get together during the week in small groups, when we break bread with one another, when you're having coffee at the coffee shop with your friend or somebody from church, can I submit to you that it's more than just getting together to hang out? That there's purpose in that and that if you'll, if you'll learn to yield yourself to God and you'll learn to be in tune with what the Holy Spirit's saying, he'll actually use you to pour himself into somebody who's empty. Hallelujah. What if we adjusted our thinking? What if we understood that the oil isn't just for us? But it was for those empty vessels. I don't know about you, but I've been in my Christian walk and in my time, I've, been, I've spent time around people whose greatest desire was for the anointing to be for themselves. That when you talked about the power of God and the presence of God, it was only always what can I get for me out of God's power. You ever been there? I've been there. What happens in this story when there's no more empty vessels? It's not a trick question. Who said it? Stops. Yeah, it's not a trick, not a trick question. I'm done telling jokes. All right, I told the joke at the beginning. It performed so-so. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not chalking that up as a, as a loss. What happens when the oil stops, or excuse me, what happens when there's no empty jars left? The oil stops. Can I submit this thought to you this morning? At the moment that we decide as a church that we don't need to go out and gather jars is the moment that the anointing departs and we will begin a slow decline into irrelevance. It's true. It's not a maybe. It's not a could be. It's this is what will happen if we take a posture that says, us four no more. I'm comfortable. 
I'm here, I'm good, I'm in my box, it feels warm, I'm good, like a two-year-old in a poopy diaper. You know, hey, this is warm and it's mine, I like it, I'm good, just leave me alone. Don't ask me to change. Don't ask me to clean up, don't ask me to do anything. I'm good, I'm good, I'm happy, I'm happy, thank you. Thank you for your concern, sir. The moment we decide as a church that we don't need to go out and keep gathering jars that are empty, that need the oil of God poured into them, as soon as we do that, the oil will stop. Now, it may take some time in the natural for the reality of no oil to catch up to what we do as a church, but let me tell you, there's some big bad churches out there that ain't had no oil in a long time. Somewhere along the line, man, they developed the, the us for, no more concept. They developed the idea that it was just okay for us to make this about us. I know. Thank you. I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be 10, 15, 20 years down the road from, from today looking back and going, oh, man, you remember the good old days when we had some oil? Oh, man, look at this beautiful facility that we have. Nice, big, beautiful facility, but we ain't got no oil. Oh, man, we got a really great soup kitchen. No oil. Oh, we got a wonderful daycare. No oil. You see, I can meet the needs of people with practical things, and there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, that's something we need to be doing all the time and all the more as a church. And the more oil you got, the, the more practical things you ought to be able to do for people. But can I tell you that without the supernatural empowerment of the Spirit of God into the empty jar, it will stay empty forever. That without the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit, people's lives will remain empty. We can fill their bellies, but if we don't fill their hearts with God, we've missed something. Hallelujah. I want to make sure that we don't fall short of the reality that there are empty vessels everywhere waiting to be gathered and brought to a place where someone can pour into them. So what's our job, guys? Got to gather some jars. Man, we're, we are a jar-gathering church. What's your church like? Well, we gather jars. We're jar-gatherers. I've not heard of that before. Is that a new denomination? Yes, it's a jar-gathering denomination. Yes, we're, yeah, we're the, we're the pilot group of that new denomination. <laughs> no, you understand what I'm saying. It's about us going and reaching the people that nobody else wants to go after. Um, we're going to look at this, this passage in Luke 14, and we're going to see that Jesus is looking for us to go looking for people that nobody wants to look for. Let me say it again. Jesus is looking for us to go looking for people that nobody wants to look for. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke 14. We'll look at this. Is everybody doing okay? Luke chapter 14. This, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right up front. This is a hard parable. This is a hard parable. But if we all go through it together, we may come out on the other side. Okay. 
Luke chapter 14. It's so much easier while you're turning. So much easier as a pastor to preach Paul out of the New Testament, to preach the Pauline revelation, to preach Ephesians and Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. All those. It's so much easier to preach Paul because Paul talks to you all about what God did for you. So much easier to preach that than it is to preach the parables of Jesus. Because Paul tells you all the things that God did for you, and Jesus in his parables tells you all the things that he expects you to do for God. Not as many amens on that one, and I understand. I understand why. Luke chapter 14. Let's begin reading in verse 16. He said to him, A certain man gave a great supper... And invited many. And we know that we're, we know that Jesus is talking here. The letters are in red. Are they in your red in your Bible? This is Jesus talking. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. Talk about a verse that hits hard. The first one said to him, I've bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. And I ask you to have me excused. And then another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm going to test them. And I ask you to have me excused. Anybody ever tested oxen? That sounds fun. Frankie probably has tested oxen. I'm just going to say it. I'm sure that he has at some point in his life. Still another said, verse 20, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported all these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master, verse 23, said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Do you see the will of God in verse 23? That my house may be filled. You know, God, the Bible says in Psalm 23, he spreads before us, or before our, our, our enemies, a table. In the presence of our enemies, he lays out in front of us a big banquet, a big buffet. God is so interested in giving his best to his kids. He just is. It's amazing. So interested in laying out before us this presentation, this spread of food. And he doesn't do it just to do it. He does it because he wants to feed those who have needs. And so his desire is that his house may be filled so that we can share in what he's prepared. Does that make sense? He desires that his house is filled. Now, go back up to verse 16 and let's take these verses apart for a few minutes. 
says a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Stop right there. The word invited here in the Greek is the word kaleo in the Greek, and it means called. This is the word which we use when we talk about being called or somebody's calling or I'm called to the mission field or I'm called to do this or Pastor God called me to this. He called me to that. When we say that, we're, you, we're talking about this word, kaleo, which means literally to call to something, to give an invitation. You know, when God calls you, he's giving you an invitation to, do, to, take, to, to partner with him and reach the nations and reach the world and reach, reach the people around you. Let's not ever take our calling lightly. That's what I'm getting at. Let's not ever take our calling lightly. Amen. He goes on to say that his servant was sent at supper time to say to those who were invited, same word, to say to those who were called, Come in, all things are now ready. All things are now ready. Everything has been made ready for the sinner to come into the master's house. All things have been made ready. Jesus has died on the cross. He went to hell on our behalf. He took the keys of death and hell and the grave. And according to Romans chapter 8, the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in us. So the Holy Spirit went and resurrected Jesus out of hell. He came out triumphant over death, over sin, over sickness and disease, over poverty. He came out triumphant. And he's now seated at the right hand of God, and he gives this invitation to anyone who would hear him, anyone who would respond, come on in, everything's ready, everything's been done, the table is set. You don't have to work for God to do something for you. You, 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 know, you know what you have to do? Just receive just learn to receive what God's made available for you through the blood of Jesus. You don't have to work for it. Amen. You don't have to earn it. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you don't have to earn God's favor? Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad you don't have to earn God's best? No, the table's been set. Everything's been made ready. Let's keep going. Here's where it gets ugh, sticky. <laughs> but they all with one accord began to make excuses. The word here for excuse is the word pare etiaumai. It means to beg pardon, to crave indulgence, to excuse. This is what we would say when we would say we're sending in our regrets. Did you ever get a, did you ever get a wedding invitation and you're like, nope, can't make it that weekend. Let them know, give my fish to someone else. I'm sending in my regrets. This is a hard parable. I'm just trying to say that a bunch of times so that you hear my heart because it's really going to get tough here in a second. It's a hard parable because it shows us how much skin we're supposed to have in the game. Now, you all know me, those of you who've been around here for 
any length of time, you know that I don't preach to manipulate. I really don't. I don't get up here. It's a decision I made a long time ago. I'm not going to get up and preach something that's going to try to pin somebody to the floor. And I'm, not, I'm just not interested in that. I just want to preach the word and stay out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can do what he does best. Amen. So this is not a rebuke. But I don't know how else you're supposed to interpret this parable. Okay? I really don't. God's kingdom and his church are not forums where we get to be passive and take up space. They're a place where we come to engage in the calling of God to reach the world. That's what this is really all about. That's why Hope Church exists. That's why we're here on a Sunday morning. That's why we get up early and we come. That's why somebody set these big black things up today. That's why there's cables running everywhere. That's why effort has been made to make sure the chairs are perfect. Because we understand this is not just a forum for us to come and breathe the air and take up the space and leave unchanged this is a place where we get to come and partner with God and engage in his desire to reach the world. So this, this parable illustrates for us just how much skin we need to have in the game. Y'all know what that means, skin in the game. This is indicative of, of what God's expectation is of us as his children and as his church. Note the word in verse, well, let's, let's jump down. Let's keep reading. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Still another says, verse 20, let's pick up in verse 20. Still another says, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So then the servant came and reported all these things to the master. This is verse 21. And he said to his servant, go quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. Servant came and reported all these things to his master, and the master being angry. It's interesting to me that no matter how profound the excuse is, to God, it's still just an excuse. Right? Oh, Lord, I gotta go mess around with these oxen. These yoke of oxen, and you go train them. You're gonna go. Plow up a field. Yeah, but you're missing the fact that there's a, a table that's been spread and a master who cares about your well-being. And he, he gave everything he had to give to lay it out here for us to partake in. I, I, I'm sorry, but that's more important. Note the word quickly that is used here. Verse 21 the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city. There's a sense of urgency with things of God. There's a sense of urgency. Do you know that today is going to be somebody's last day? If that's not urgent, I don't know what is. 
There's a sense of urgency in the things of God and in the kingdom of God. And because of that, there's no limit to who gets an invitation. What does he say? He says, go get the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. The master says, I, you know, I invited some of my buddies I invited my pals from the clubhouse to come down, and none of them want to seem to make the time to come. So I tell you what, go out and find some blind people that are not going to eat tonight. Go out and find some lame folks that are waiting for their next handout. Go, go out and find somebody who's maimed in the street that cannot help themselves, and let's do for them what they can't do for themselves. Bring them in here. There's a sense of urgency, and there's a sense that nobody who, who, who comes to Jesus is going to be denied access. Isn't that amazing? Verse 22, let's keep reading. The 23rd verse is where we're trying to get to. I'm taking too much time in these other verses. Verse 22, the servant said, Master, it's done as you've commanded, and there's still room. <laughs> there's still room. Can I tell you something? There's more room than you think. There's so much room in the plan of God for people. There's so much room at the table for those who are lost. Those empty jars we were talking about, God's got shelf after shelf after shelf ready to fill them in and fit them in. Verse 23, this is where we wanted to get to. It says, Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Compel in the Greek is a hard one to pronounce, so I left it alone. I wasn't even going to try. Compel in the Greek means to necessitate. Necessitate. When you study this Greek word and you drill down into it, you find there's no gray area here. This word leaves no room for options. This word leaves no room for options. In other words, God's not saying, go out into the streets and see what happens. See if maybe you can convince a couple people to come to church with you. Or maybe you can, you can argue with somebody until they just give in and decide to get saved. Maybe go out in the streets and if, if nothing's happening, just go home and don't worry about it. No, there's no gray area here. There's no options given to us by Jesus in this passage. He said, you go out there and you compel them to come in. You tell them there's necessity that they come in. Our society is inundated with options. And that's not always a good thing. I think about my, my friend Jim Hockaday has said this many times. He's talked about how easy it was when he was a kid to go choose what flavor of ice cream you were going to get. You can have vanilla or vanilla or vanilla. Whichever vanilla you want, we can scoop from this side or from this side. He says, now when, I, when my kids were little and I would take them to Ben and Jerry's and there's 4,000 flavors there, he said, it would take forever for us to decide. We've got to try this one, 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 we've got to try this one. You try 36 different flavors, you still can't figure out which one you want. How many of you struggle to choose a movie with your spouse on Netflix? It can't be done. 
can't be done because we have too many options. We have too many options. You see, our job is not to go out into the world and present the world with a bunch of options. Our job is to go out into the world and present the world with the way, the truth, and the life, and that's Jesus. There's not a lot of options here, guys. You can either, he that has the son has life. He that does not have the son does not have life. Here's your option. You can choose Jesus, 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 or Jesus. We are being compelled out of necessity by God to go into the world and compel out of necessity people to be saved. Either we get serious and they get saved or nothing happens. Either the widow and her sons collect the jars and the miracle happens or nothing happens. Look, there's no gray area. I told you this was a hard parable. I told you all this was a hard one. Because it, it, it's one of those ones that, that, that makes me realize how selfish I really am. It's one of those ones that makes me understand that I spend so much of my life living for me. Man. Leave it up to Jesus to pin you to the carpet, boy. I'll tell you what, if anybody can do it, it's him. Either we get serious and they get saved or nothing happens. Now, in my last couple minutes as I close, by no means am I trying to imply that the world is saved by our efforts. Okay, hear me out on this. By no means am I trying to imply that the world gets saved through our efforts. The world gets saved by the grace of God and by the sacrifice of Jesus. It's real clear in Scripture who does the saving. But we are foolish to assume that it's going to happen without our participation. Foolish. And I started to think about why that is. I thought, Lord, why is it, why is it so easy to think that this, that this harvest is going gonna, is gonna to happen without our participation? And I realize it's, it's human nature. I realize this. It's easy to get excited. But sometimes it's not easy to turn that excitement into productivity. How many of you this January decided this was going to be your year to lose that weight? New Year's resolution, man. I am excited. It's a new year. Today is the day. This is my year. as chunky as we've been since January 1st. I'm telling you, it's just the way that it goes. Just trying to think, trying to think of a tactful way to say that, you know. It's easy to get excited by big vision. Okay, I'm, I'm landing the plane. I'm closing. It's easy to get excited, and anyone can get excited about big vision. What we often do without realizing it is that we get enamored by vision, but then we make the false assumption that the vision is somebody else's responsibility. That's what we do. Here's the thing about the vision that God gave to Hope Church. If you're reading it, you're responsible for it. 
Let me say that again for the folks online. I don't think they heard me. If you're reading it, you're responsible for it. Habakkuk 2.2, we talk about it all the time. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets of stone that he may run who reads it. Our problem, here's what we don't get to do. We don't get to read it and expect somebody else to do the running. We, we don't get to do that because if we do, we're going to fill up our, our, our oil jars and, and maybe we'll even fill them up till they overflow, but there's only going to be eight of them or 10 of them or 15 or 20. In the meantime, there's a, there's a campus with almost 21,000 students that don't know Jesus. There's pockets and communities in our county all over the place ravaged with poverty and we're over here going yay vision moved with compassion let me know how that turns out it just doesn't work that way guys we've got a job we are compelled to compel According to Jesus, our job is to be that servant at the master's banquet and go out into the highways and the hedges and go out into the places where we live our life every day and be like, how, oh, Josh, can I tell you about how good God is? You better know how good he is. I'm telling you, there's only one way to heaven, and it's Jesus, and you got to know that, and you got to come and be saved. There's, there's got to be a sense of urgency in our conversations every day. There's got to be a sense of urgency that, that Jesus needs to be known and proclaimed all over the state of North Carolina, all over these mountain counties, where you live, where you work, where you engage. That needs to be your platform to proclaim how good God is and start to pour that oil into those empty vessels. We are compelled to compel. It's just so easy to get enamored by big vision and go, wow, won't it be cool when we get there? And then just act like you ain't got no running to do. It's time to run. It's time to run. We've read the vision, and as long as we're reading the vision, we need to be running. We do. Can you, can you put, Tim, can you put... Habakkuk 2.2 on the screen in the message version. I don't always go to the message, but every now and again, it just gets it really right. Eugene Peterson was brilliant, by the way, the guy who wrote the message. Habakkuk 2.2. We have the passion, but not the message. Oh. Wow. All right, well, anyways, what it says in the message, write the vision and make it big so that it can be read on the run. Oh, isn't that so good? You see, we need to start reading the vision and start running with the vision. And then while we're running, we need to still be able to look back and be like, am I running the right direction? Yeah, I am. That's what the vision says. When it's in the vision stage... It can still feel daunting. 
is still feel impossible. God told us last year to believe him for 300 people at Easter. And for 300 people by the end of 2022 to be fully attending our church. That feels big. It can feel like a drag when all you're doing is collecting jars. But can I tell you something? Can I tell you a secret of ministry? It's when the oil starts to flow that it gets really addictive. It's when the oil starts to flow, when you, when you start to see God move and you would do anything to not get in the way and you would do anything for that move to continue. Glory to God. When, when the oil begins to be poured out and you start to see lives being transformed, can I tell you that the best part about pastoring, the absolute best part about pastoring, is not just when there's a full crowd on Sunday. It's not just when the worship team plays it and it's perfect and it's, ooh, it's just right. It's not when we have really good leadership meetings and it's like, oh, man, we're doing all the right stuff. The most gratifying, satisfying moments for me in ministry have, have been when I have watched someone's life turn because of God doing a work in them. It is this, it makes me cry, it makes me weep. I fall down and I say, oh God, thank you for choosing me to do this kind of work because I get to watch humans' lives be transformed by the power and the word of God. When the oil is flowing, you'll do anything to keep it flowing. You'll go, yeah, I'll go to three prayer meetings a week. Yeah, I'll fast. Oh, what do I get? What do you want me to do? God fast? Give up meals for a week? Yeah, I can do it. Absolutely. Oh, what do you want me to give? You want me to tithe? You want me to volunteer? You want me to be a part of this amazing thing that God's doing? Don't tell me it can't happen in Watauga County. Don't tell me we're too small of a community. Don't tell me this is too small of a church. When God lights something on fire, everybody comes to watch it burn. Hallelujah. We, 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 can't, act like, we, we can't act like we are disqualified from the move of God's power. I'm here to tell you that every, I talk to a lot of pastors, got a lot of pastor friends. Every pastor thinks their unique town is the single hardest place for God to move. Every, I'm telling you, isn't that right, Josh? Every, every pastor, they say, oh yeah, no, this is the, well, you know, y'all might have it easy over there in Texas, but this is the Bible Belt, okay? This is Boone, and if it's not Boone, it's, well, that's just California, you know, it's just the way it is in Calvin. This is a hostile place for starting a church. Oh, this is the Northeast. This is the Midwest. This is the, fill in the blank. God can't move here. Can I tell you that in Rome, in the early church in the first century, they were feeding Christians to the lions, and the gospel was exploding in every direction. Let's not disqualify ourselves by thinking that it can't happen here. Let me leave you with the question I've been leaving you with since February 6th, this week, with Easter, seven days away. Six, if you count the Easter egg hunt and Saturday night service. Who are you praying for this week? And who are you inviting? Who are you bringing? Who are you going to bring to Jesus? Hey, listen, if you haven't thought about it, that's okay. Just think about it now and ask God, Lord, who, who do I need to invite? Who do I need to speak the word into their lives?
Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.